And uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of First Peter. We, we've learned that this letter that was written by Peter to Christians of his day uh, was written with the theme of hope. He explains the hope that we have. And if you're taking notes this morning, you'll, you'll, you'll see on the top of your notes that we have defined what hope is. And it's the future glory of, a, of an eternal life that is full of joy and unrestrained, or unrestrained joy with God. It's a future glory. And we've been learning about this hope. We've been learning about how exactly this hope uh, is received. We, we talked about in verse 3 to 5 about that. All right. Yep. And then we talked a little bit more of, of that hope uh, being um, evidenced in our life last week. We, we learned that if, if we have this hope, there's evidence of that hope within us, evidence that others can see. In fact, uh, we, we left off in verse number three saying that one of the, the evidences of someone that has a hope is that uh, in verse two, that we have a desire, a craving, if you will, for the milk of the word of God and that we can grow thereby. In fact, he says, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, and anyone that has this hope, that, that is a, a, uh, a, a sentence, or, or verse 3 is more of a declaration of, uh, if you have this hope, then you know. You've tasted it. It's, it's, it's something that goes without saying, almost. It's, it's if you have this hope, you know that the Lord is good and gracious. And, and it's one of the evidence that we have of, a hope. Well, in this morning's study of verse number four down to verse number eight, we're going to be learning about building on this hope. Did you know that every Christian in the Christian life ought to be building on the hope that they've received? We ought to be building on it. In fact, we're going to find this morning that Peter talks about the importance of building on the right foundation, but also what that building that we're building into is. Uh, because this is a building that today in our, in our society and really many even in, in the Christian walk and in the Christian life have begun to abandon. Many that have begun to say, I, I don't know that it's that necessary in my life. I don't know that I really, really need this building. And, and that's why it's so important to understand what Peter is saying here, because it's going to help us to grow, to, to understand what we're building towards and what it is that we're build, build, being built into. You see, our hope is a living hope. We've learned this, that, that Peter doesn't just say we have a hope. He says we have a living hope. It's not dead, it's alive. And if something is alive, then it's going to be growing. Anything that has life is growing. It's ever changing. In fact, I think the best illustration in our creation of this is the tree. right? If, if, if a tree is healthy, if a tree is alive, then you'll see that it'll begin to grow. We, we, we see that the leaves will be green. We'll see that the branches continually get bigger and stronger. Uh, and it's a sign of a healthy tree. It's growing. But if a tree begins to die, you'll find that the leaves begin to change from a nice green color to a brown. You'll find that the branches of that tree aren't as sturdy. In fact, uh, with a little bit of weight, they might just break off of the tree. We find that the tree will, will stop 
growing and expanding, it'll just kind of stay there and if not, begin to shrink and shrivel until finally it just topples over because it's dead. Life is ever-growing and ever-changing. And the hope that we have is ever-growing and ever-changing because it is a living hope. So notice what Peter says about this ever-changing, living hope and what it is built upon and what is built into. Notice in verse number 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. He writes, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. We'll find that in this passage this morning, Peter is writing and he's, he's changing a little bit of of what the illustration or metaphor is. From verse number two and verse number three, he's talking about these evidences of a, of a newborn baby desiring the sincere milk of the word. And then he moves into verse number four to now stones and building something. He, he changes it because he wants to talk about the, the, the hope that we have and what we build upon that hope, how our hope is to ever be growing. I want you to notice if you're taking notes this morning, what this living house or building is that we are being built into and being building upon. Notice if you will, first of all, that Christ is the foundation that we build upon. Uh, Peter begins this metaphor by first telling us of the foundation of this house. The foundation is Jesus Christ. He says, unto whom or to whom coming that whom there is Jesus he's been talking about Jesus this whole time in chapter one and even starting in chapter number two if you taste it and see that the Lord is good he's he's talking about Christ he's talking about our savior to whom you've come to the foundation of our hope he he calls him a living stone to whom coming as unto a living stone and it's a it's a funny metaphor because we don't really think of stones right as being alive or dead they're just kind of inanimate objects yet what 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 peter wants to do is put in our minds not that that, that you know stones have lives or rocks have lives but but rather the idea that there is a stone, a foundation that is the, the house that we are building on this hope, and that foundation of this hope is Jesus Christ. Now we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit, but, but I want you to notice that he talks about him as a living stone, one foundation that is alive and growing, and, and notice that it is that he is alive. A, a living stone really focuses on the fact that he is alive. Now, the resurrection changed everything in our world. It changed everything. It's, it's the distinguishing mark between Christianity and every other religion. 
If, 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 you, if you study world religions, and there are many books that you can read on world religions, you'll find that no other religion really speaks of their Savior resurrecting and defeating death. Uh, even, even those like in the Muslim faith, uh, they, would, they would say, yes, Muhammad is a prophet, but they wouldn't believe so much in the resurrection of Muhammad. It's that he's dead. He was just a great prophet. They, uh, if you go into uh, Buddhism or if you go into any other religion, there is not one where uh, there is a new life in one person that is the author of life. But in Christianity, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said that, by the way, before he died. And three days after he gave his life, being in a grave, he resurrected. It changed everything. That's why our hope is a living hope because of the resurrection, because Jesus defeated death. In fact, I love what Revelation chapter one, I left it in your notes, verse 17 and 18 say, notice what it says. It says, and when I saw him, this is the apostle John writing, I fell at his feet as dead. And he's speaking about Jesus. And he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. In other words, Jesus defeated death. Jesus is alive today. And he is the foundation upon which our hope rests. He is the source of our hope. The hope that we have as Christians is a living hope today because Jesus is no longer in a grave. His being alive gives him power to give new life to all that believe in him. In fact, you'll, you'll find this throughout Jesus' ministry. He, he tried to, to share this message and communicate this, uh, this message to all that he taught, to all that would hear him. He would say this. Notice in John 4.10, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. You know that word living is the same one that says living stone. It's the same word. Zoe in, in, in Greek, the living stone, the living water. John chapter six, verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forevermore. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What was Jesus simply saying? He was saying, I, I have life that is everlasting. And, and if you've tasted of this, you've, you know the hope that you have is a living hope. The foundation of our hope begins with Jesus who is alive. But secondly, Peter says, not only is he alive, but he is chosen and precious. Jesus is God's chosen. The word chosen here is the Greek word eklektos, which means excellent or preeminent in choice. Though many rejected Jesus when he was here on this earth, God accepted him. God chose him. In fact, many times the disciples heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We find that God chose Jesus, but he was also precious. Now this word is entomos, and it means held in honor. God chose Jesus, his son, and holds him in honor despite what many in the world would think of him, despite what many in this world would do to him. God says of Jesus that he is held 
in honor in his eyes. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, Matthew quotes a prophet or a prophecy from Isaiah 42, and he says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, speaking of Jesus, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Uh, we, we find that Jesus was precious in God's sight. We find Jesus was the one that was chosen in God's sight. What does this tell us then this morning? What is Peter trying to say when he writes this, when he talks about the living stone? He's talking about the foundation of our hope. In verse number three, he's saying we need to grow thereby. Well, how are you going to grow? Well, first of all, by being built up on this living stone that is Jesus Christ. On the, on the one that is the chosen of God, the one that is precious in God's sight. In other words, as Christians, we have a sure foundation. A sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ. I, I love the hymns that speak about Jesus as our foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He is our foundation. He is alive. He is precious. He is chosen. Many believed him to be just a good teacher. Many believed him to be just a good man. Others believed that he was a fraud and a criminal. But yet, the scriptures teach us that he was neither just a good man nor simply a thief or criminal. The Bible's teaches us that he is our foundation, the one who is alive forevermore, the one who is precious, and the one who is chosen by God. We can rest assured of who he is and in whom we have believed. First or Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 in your notes, for the which cause I also suffer these things, Paul said. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know... Whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Peter's leading us to understand our hope is built, is built on something solid. It's built on Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our hope. He is that living stone. Then I want you to notice, secondly, that upon that stone that is being built is the church. Jesus is the foundation upon which the church is built. So notice that Peter, uh, the, the spiritual house that he's talking about, the, the hope that is being built upon is on the foundation of Jesus Christ through his church. The church is to grow us in the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's why it's odd to hear Christians say, I don't go to church anymore, I think it's failed. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So either that person that calls himself a Christian doesn't believe the Bible or believes that Jesus is a liar. This is why it's so important for us to understand that the church is here and given to us so that we might grow thereby, so that our hope might be built upon something solid. This is why Jesus loves the church and gave himself for it. This is why Jesus is going to be married. We are the promised bride of Christ. It's the church 
that is to help us grow in the likeness of Jesus. In fact, notice what he writes in verse number five. Ye also, as lively stones. You see, the likeness in terms. Jesus is the living stone, but we are lively stones. We're built up a spiritual house. That spiritual house doesn't have walls and a foundation like the temple of the Old Testament. Peter was reminding those that were reading this, when they think about worshiping and growing and and knowing God, they would think about the temple. If you were going to learn about the scriptures, you would go to the temple and learn. But that temple had been destroyed once. This was the second temple that was still in existence with Peter, and it was going to be destroyed in 70 AD. And what Jesus was, was, was building in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that, was a spiritual house, a spiritual temple, if you will, that has no walls that can be destroyed, but rather is made up of people that have the Holy Spirit in them that have been sanctified, that have been given a, a holy priesthood. That's what Peter is talking about. If we're going to be lively stones, which are stones that are, are out of that living stone that are built to the living stone, then we must understand that it's the church that helps us build into this likeness. The church then is not to be ignored nor rejected nor abandoned. It is the house that God built so that we might grow in the likeness of Jesus. So that understanding our foundation of the living stone, we can be lively stones. How do we do that? How is it that we build on this? Well, number one, if you have your notes, by our new position that we've been given. He writes this spiritual house in verse number five in holy priesthood. He talks about a position here that we have now been made priests. Now, Priests were those that served God in the Old Testament temple. So the spiritual house now is what's taken place of the temple, right? So now it's no longer these walls, but it's a spiritual house that God has built. And now there's a priesthood that serves in it. In the temple, the priests were the ones that served. They offered the sacrifices. They were the ones that represented the people to God. And they were the ones that God would speak to to teach the people his ways. Those were priests of the old testament and now peter connecting that now the church is that spiritual house we don't have a temple anymore that we we have to go to we don't go to jerusalem or make a pilgrimage there to get to a temple but rather we are the temple first corinthians chapter number six verse 19 and 20 now being that spiritual house there is a priesthood for that worship and you and i are that priest that priesthood and those priests that offer sacrifices. Notice in Leviticus chapter 6 in the Old Testament, God told the Levites, and the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it, it shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. It was the priest that would, would do that. In fact, it was the priest only that could do that. There was a king, and you can read about it. I didn't put it in your notes, but there's a, a king in in uh, in First Kings. You can read. I mean, Second Kings. You can read about him, who uh, who thought he could go ahead and give the sacrifices as well. 
And he went into the temple and the priest said, a king, it's not for you to do that. It's not your position that's been given to you. And he said, I can do it. I'm the king. I can kind of do whatever I want. He went into the temple and he came out with leprosy. And he died not too long after that. God struck him because he didn't have the position to do that. This priesthood was a a unique and distinct position that only the priests could serve and offer sacrifices. But now, Peter says, that position has been given to all who have trusted in Christ, those who possess the living hope. Those whose foundation is Jesus now can build upon this spiritual house as priests. It is through this priesthood that we come before God with boldness. And it is through this priesthood that we serve. This is how we grow. Now, I want you to to key into something really important here. Growth is not always what we do. It's also what we receive. If we're not careful, we, we, we can get into the Martha syndrome. If you don't know the story of Mary and Martha, you'll um, there was these two sisters that were followers of Jesus and Jesus came to their house, was a very uh, close friend of theirs. And, and one day as he's visiting, Martha begins to serve and she notices that Mary's not serving. She notices that Mary's not really making uh, the, everything uh, ready for the table. And, and as she's cooking and preparing everything, she gets frustrated that Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. And she complains to Jesus, and she says, why is Mary just sitting there listening, and I'm the one doing all the work? And Jesus says, you're not going to rob Mary. He said, Martha, Martha, you're so encumbered by all this work. He said, but Mary's chosen the better part, to receive. You see, as we grow in this spiritual house and in this priesthood, first we have to understand the position that we have received from him. The hope that we have in him. What that means for our future. But what that means in the present as well. We can't get too caught up into thinking that the Christian life is all about doing. And understand that it's also about receiving. It's also about what we've been given. If we're not careful, we... We think that growth is all about just serving in this and doing this. But we, we stop to, or we, we, we forget to start drinking that milk. We forget to get watered by the word of God so that we might grow and serve. Peter says, as lively stones built up for a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a position that we've been given. But that position then moves now to a purpose, a new purpose that we've been given. He says to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, it is a priest who were to serve God daily in the temple, they were the ones that offered the daily sacrifices, whether it was the peace offerings or the sin offerings or the, uh, or the um, um, offerings of thankfulness. No one else was allowed to do that. But what sacrifices are we to offer today then in this spiritual house? What is Peter talking about? 
I mean, it's easy to understand when there's an actual temple, actual priests, and an actual sacrifice like a ram or a bull to kill and go and put it on the altar and let fire come down from, from God and let the altar feel, uh, be filled with, with that that's acceptable to God. That's, it's easy to understand. But now Peter is saying there's this new spiritual house that's being built that we know is the church that has a priesthood, and that is every believer because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And now we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? Do we get ghost bulls and ghost rams? No. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, the Word of God teaches us in the New Testament what these spiritual sacrifices are. In fact, uh, I put them in our, in our notes this morning because I think it's so important for us to, to see what they are. Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 says that as we present our bodies ourselves, we are a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. So let me tell you something. When you give of yourself to serve God, that's a spiritual sacrifice to God. I've shared that illustration before, but uh, that little boy that was in the service and as the offering plates were going around and he saw everybody in his row giving offering, he felt into his pockets and realized he had no money to give. And when that plate came to him, having no money to give, he put the plate on the ground and then stood into the plate. And he said, God, I give myself. A spiritual sacrifice is when we give of ourselves to God. That's why Paul said, I beg you, give your body as a living sacrifice. That means what you talk about should be used and served for God. What you listen to and what you see, what you use these hands for and what you use your legs for and your feet to take you should be given to God. But that's not the only spiritual sacrifices that we give. There's also the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 there in your notes. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Did you know that every service in this church, we do that? In fact, we do four songs before the message and then one after the message. So why do we sing so much? Because with the fruit of our lips, we give a spiritual sacrifice of praise. There's a sacrifice of good works. In fact, in verse number 16 of Hebrews chapter 13, I love the way that the living translation translated. He says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God, the sacrifice of good works. We ought to do good unto others. And then the sacrifice of our possessions, he said, to do good and to share with those in need. There's a sacrifice of service. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, God gave me his grace so that I could serve others. The ministry of serving others is a priestly service. Can I say as you serve 
another family in this church or another person in this church. As you serve them, you're doing a priestly service unto God. That's why God taught his disciples and said, if you give just a cup of water in my name, it's like you did it unto me. How? Because we're lively stones of the living stone. We're stuck together with him. I'm going to unpack this thought in the next point, but but I just want you to understand this morning that there are priestly services that we are to do because we have been given a position, a priesthood. And our hope needs to be built upon this foundation into something that is of a spiritual house. By the way, that spiritual house is one house. He didn't say spiritual houses, but a spiritual house. That's why it's so important for us to have unity in our church. I know people that say, well, I'm done with the church. I'm, I'm going to be my own church. Well, that's not what Peter says to do. That's not God's footprint to go out on your own and be your own and have all these houses. No, no, no. God said, there's one house upon which we are built. In fact, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 21 and verse 22, it says, in whom the whole structure, spiritual house we're talking about, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, he's talking to the local church, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's in this purpose that we are to continue growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. By seeing our position, God has given us holy holiness because he is holy. We learned about that, chapter 1, right? Verse 15 and 16, Peter already talked about that. So we have the position to be in likeness of Jesus Christ, and now we are to, in our purpose, live as Jesus lived. Offering, he says in verse 5, these spiritual sacrifices. And notice what he says in verse number 6. He says, wherefore, also, it is contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Just for the sake of your notes, number three, likeness to Jesus does not bring shame, but boldness. The temptation for many who believed in Jesus during Peter's day, especially those of the Jewish descent, was to be ashamed of Jesus. For many there in Jerusalem, Jesus was a man that was crucified and condemned. That was not a good death. That was not an honorable death. So the temptation was to be ashamed of his life, and his death. Yet Peter writes that Jesus does not bring shame, but boldness and honor. And the way he pictures this in verse 6, and really in verse 7 and 8, is pretty beautiful. He starts by saying and reminding us, in verse 4 he talked about the lively stone, So in verse number six, he kind of unpacks this from scripture. He says, listen, Isaiah says this, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. Well, we know that God is the chosen, uh, Jesus is the chosen, right? He's elect and he's precious. We already know that from verse five. 
So that cornerstone that is laid, what, what, what is it that, that Peter's trying to have the believer's picture of Jesus? Well, the cornerstone, if you're not familiar with, with the cornerstone, I think I, I have a picture of it. I, I'm not sure, but a, a cornerstone is the first stone that's put in a building. You'll notice it's the, it's the very bottom one there, the cornerstone. And, and what you would do is that you got to make sure that you have a, a building or a, 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 a stone that was nice and square. And that was going to be where you're going to put the corner of your building. Now, this stone was very important for two reasons. Because, first of all, it was going to determine the direction of which your building was going to be facing and going. Okay? So, for instance, if I want to build a building that is facing you guys, then I have to put the cornerstone like this, make sure that it's straight so that it's facing you as it's being built. If I wanted to... Uh, to build a, a building that's facing the screen, I would put the cornerstone like this, and that way it's flush this way, and now the face of that building is facing that way. The chief cornerstone determined the direction of what that building was going to be and going. In the spiritual house that has now been built by Jesus, the founder, he is that cornerstone that gives us the direction. That's why we follow his commands, when he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, that's, that's not an option. That's, that's not if the government allows you to. The government in Peter's day said he could not do that. Not, not the Roman government, the Jewish government. And they answered by saying, we must obey God rather than men. Right? His commands are higher than our commands. Because he's the chief cornerstone. He's told us this is the direction that we are going to be going in. But there's a second reason that the cornerstone was so important, and that is because everything was built upon it and connected with it. Uh, so, so if you're building the building, now you're going to put another uh, block or brick on top of this, and then on top of that, and the top of that to make the wall. And then you're going to connect from, from, from here the, the, one that's the, 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 the bricks and the, and, and the blocks that are going to make the wall going further that way. The chief cornerstone had to have the strength to hold all of that together. In the spiritual house that is the church, Jesus as the chief cornerstone has given us the direction that we follow, but he's also what holds us together. In fact, many scholars believe when Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when Jesus is playing on Peter's name, Petra, Peter's name probably meant a little pebble. But rock, Petra, was a much larger, stronger figure. In fact, it was, it was what many scholars believe was a lot of pebbles that were put together to make one solid rock, one solid structure. And that when Jesus was saying, I will build my church. He was saying, I'm the cornerstone, but on that, all these little pebble stones will be, will be put on it. Not that, G, not that Peter was the, the cornerstone or the foundation of the church, like maybe the Catholic church would teach, but rather he's just the pebble that's been plugged to it, connected to it, of the which you and I are also connected if we are in Christ and we have this hope. So, so now we've become lively stones. 
lively stones that have a new position and purpose to serve and to offer sacrifices. And the likeness that we have of Jesus will not produce shame, but it will produce boldness. It will produce honor. You say, well, 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 pastor, when is that? When is that happening? When our hope becomes a reality. Jesus is coming again. There is new life after this life. And in that judgment, those that are lively stones will not be ashamed. See, those that accept him see him as their cornerstone. Paul saw Jesus as the cornerstone, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. As our cornerstone, Jesus holds us together, while at the same time, he is what we build our life upon. The spiritual house that is this church. And the priesthood that is you and I are to serve and offer spiritual sacrifices. Why? Because there was a cornerstone laid. And in verse number seven, he says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. And Jesus ought to be precious to you. Jesus ought to be someone you love. Someone you spend time with. Someone you think about. It's funny when you're in that dating phase, right? With your husband or your wife. It seems like that's all you can think about. I remember coming home from college and Rochelle living in San Diego and me living, I think it's like 1,800 miles from here, living here in Mission. I remember writing her occasionally, talking to her every day. I remember there were times where we would stay up literally all night. I'd go to bed at 5.30 in the morning. I had to be at work by 7.30. And on two hours of sleep, I was still great. It's all I thought about. Peter says, that cornerstone's precious. Look what he's given us. Look at the hope we have. I mean, what are we building? If it's not on him, what are you living for? Notice in verse number seven and eight, he also says this, those that reject him will stumble and be offended. And a stone of stumbling... And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Peter ends with this thought of those that reject in verse number eight. They will stumble at God's word. They will stumble at his truth. In other words, what he commands and what he says. By the way, we see this more and more 
in our day and age, right? People are okay with talking about God, just not Jesus. They'll say, pray to the God that you know and pray to, but, but you pray in Jesus' name, do it by yourself. Don't do it out loud. In fact, they'll many times say, because we don't want to offend anyone else. There's a lot of truth to that. Peter says, yeah, people will be offended at Jesus. They will be offended at the name of Jesus. They'll be offended about the power of Jesus. They'll be offended about the person of Jesus. More and more people are offended by what Jesus taught on morality, on what marriage is and is not. They reject his view of purity and how we're to live our lives in a way that is holy and distinct and different. They reject his message of ethics and the sanctity of life. They reject him. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 1, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Those that accept him, he is our cornerstone. And to those that reject him, they stumble and are offended. And they will be confounded. You see, when our hope becomes a reality, and this is what Peter wanted them to think about. Yeah, right now, life is tough. And right now, yeah, the government's against you and culture's against us. And, and everybody seems to be against the Bible and its truth. Yeah, right now. But there's a day that's coming that all this will be made right. And it's not going to be with who's in the White House in 2024. There's going to be a greater leader than the President of the United States. There's going to be a greater leader than the leader of some empire that's ever lived. The Bible says that that precious chosen Son of God will be back and he will judge the rich and the poor. He, he will judge, the Bible says, the nations. And there, those that were offended in him and stumbled will be judged. Those that rejected the hope that he offered and did not build their life on that foundation, the Bible says they will be confounded and ashamed. It's on that day that he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. It's on that day that those that believed on him will reign with him. It's on that day that he will share his glory with us. That is the hope. That's what Peter wanted them to think about. This morning... We found that a Christian who has hope is to be building on that hope. The foundation of our building is Jesus. He's alive, he's chosen, and he's precious. It's the church that helps us to be in the likeness because we build on that foundation. We stick with him. And we become lively stones. We're made priests so that we can give and offer spiritual sacrifices and all those 
that believe will not be confounded. No, they'll be liberated. They'll have a hope that is a living hope, a real hope. I guess my challenge to you this morning is are you building on your hope? Our hope is an amazing hope. It has a sure foundation. We should easily be able to say, as the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he is able. To the Philippians, he said, I know that he that started a good work in you will complete it. This week, I want to challenge you. Build on your hope. How am I building on that hope? Get plugged into this local church. Sacrifice your body as a spiritual sacrifice. Do good, love others, meet the need. Let's make our hope the building block of our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Thank you for the hope that we have. What an amazing hope. A hope with a foundation that is sure. That is not shaky. That can never be destroyed by an enemy. Oh, a hope that is alive. Growing. Thank you, Father, for what that hope means for us. You've made us to be your priests. Your servants. We've been made, Father, to be able to serve and offer spiritual sacrifices. Oh, Father, I pray that the hope that we have leads us to building a spiritual house we are part of. That we can get plugged in to that which you loved and gave yourself for. That as a spiritual house, this local church, Father, can ever be one that offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto you. Father, I pray that you would ever remind us that those that have trusted in this foundation shall never be confounded, never be ashamed, because you are precious to us. So help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to realize what disobedience does and what it is. And help us to live as obedient children building on the hope that you've given. Father, fill us with your spirit and help us to apply this truth into our lives. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.